listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Good morning. It is good to see all of you. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to make your way to Romans chapter 12, and that's where we will be spending our our time this morning digging into the Word of God. Uh, I am excited this morning uh, because we kind of mentioned it last week, uh, but there's this pivot that's going to take place in Paul's writing to the church in Rome uh, where he is going to begin explaining and unpacking what uh, a belief in God, a correct view of God, looks like lived out practically. And so we're kind of getting to the, the application portion of this book, which is very important. Because all throughout the, the narrative of Scripture, biblically there is always a connection between our understanding and the actions we take within this life. There's a connection piece there. And that goes throughout the narrative of Scripture. And so we can look back at some um, um, uh, well-known declarations or, or proclamations God has made to his people throughout the scriptures. I think back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which was kind of this keystone piece for the nation of Israel. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 uh, is this famous utterance called the Shema of Israel, where it says, Hear, O Israel. And within the language of what God was declaring to hear, to understand something, implied action came after it. If you heard it, it meant there was a movement in your life that was going to take place. So it wasn't just an intellectual exercise. It was something that uh, came in to your mind, came into your understanding, came in to your heart, and then worked itself out practically in the choices you actually made. Uh, I love that if you've ever gone through like the wisdom literature, um, specifically the book of Proverbs. It talks about the wise person over and over again and how it's really portrayed that if you have wisdom, which is, you know, an understanding, it is um, um, akin to being able to live well. It was a skill. It was how you lived out your life well in God's ordered world. And so these past uh, 20 plus weeks we've been spending in the book of Romans, these previous 11 chapters we have worked ourselves through, Paul has really done a lot of um, explaining different truths and different realities about what God has done in the world, specifically his work of salvation. And so as we look at Romans, oftentimes we do look at it as a very like dense, theologically driven book that it does explain these spiritual realities that Paul spends the time, he he talks through the different aspects of our salvation. It is like, it's an intellectual book in a way. You know, you could get into some of the other epistles and they're a bit more pragmatic, a bit more just uh, like common sense advice for how to live for God, but Romans is a little bit thicker. But it it does do this pivot now and Paul's gonna begin to talk about like, okay, with the, the backdrop of all the things I've explained about the spiritual realities of God and his saving work within our world, with that in mind, let's talk about what it looks like in your life, in my life, when we believe the things about God, when we hold those truths in our heart and in our 
mind. Uh, about two years ago, the staff, we read through this book uh, together that I just really enjoyed and recommend now. It's, it's a very short book. It's called A, a Little Book for New Theologians uh, by a guy named Kelly Capick. Great book. It's very, very short, very small. It almost looks like a pamphlet, but it was just chock full of truth. And I love the third chapter of his book was entitled The Inseparability of Theology and Practice. And I loved that because it did bring those two things together. Sometimes we can separate it when we think about theology and our understanding of God and just the different ways we break down the truths of Scripture. We can kind of leave it in the realm of the intellectual. Okay, this is the theological system I adhere to. Here's how I understand these complicated or nuanced parts of Scripture. We kind of bring it into the intellectual. But that's not God's purposes for his people through his word. That the word of God and the understanding of God is always supposed to work itself out in the practical ways we actually live our lives. In the actions we take every single day, in the relationships we have, in the decisions we make, our understanding of God should fuel the way that we live. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. There is an inseparability between our life and our theology. What does it look like in practice. And so let's, let's dive in. Let's look. You've already heard it, but let's look again. Let's look at just the, the first two verses of chapter 12, and then we'll continue on from there. This is what Paul says as he turns the corner. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so Paul's going to begin to uh, dive more into the realm of what it looks like lived out to have a belief in God. And so uh, our behaviors and our actions are going to begin to be addressed. And so we should know by this point within the book of Romans that our behavior is not what brings us into a saving relationship with God. It's not what makes us a Christian. But our behavior, the way we live our lives every single day, is a byproduct of what we believe and what we hold true within our hearts and minds. So we should know that off the top. And that's where Paul begins even this address because he backdrops all the things he's going to say. And that's what he says in verse 1. He says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. So Paul's done the work at this point, explaining salvation and making sure people uh, can grasp and hold in tension all the realities of what God's been working throughout history for his people, culminating in Jesus Christ and the faith we can have with him and the relationship that brings us into. So that's what Paul is saying. Hey, because of all of this, I appeal to you because of the mercy God has bestowed upon your life. Let me address some of the ways you actually live out this life God has given you. And so what does he says, say? He says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What an interesting phrase. And it is a familiar passage. It is 
verses we bring up a lot. It um, probably has some connection points in your life if you've spent time following Jesus. But I just find it's such an interesting interplay of these two words Paul is bringing together to convey what it means to live your life in view of the mercies God has had on it. Because on one hand, we have sacrifice. Sacrifice implies death. It is a, a uh, hearkening back to the Old Testament where the people of God literally brought animal sacrifices to kill, to atone for sin. And so sacrifice has this one image that it should bring to mind just very viscerally of things being brought forward to die. But what does Paul say? He says, to live your life, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's bringing those two things together we have the death on one hand of something being sacrificed, being offered up to die, but the commandment to live for Jesus. And if we know any aspect of the gospel, it is always used in the terminology of being brought to life. You know, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have life abundantly. And so if, as you dig into the scriptures and the call on the people of God to follow Jesus, there's always these two movements that are supposed to occur in our life. And they are both death and life. And so as we follow Jesus and we know from the scriptures that the Spirit of God comes and indwells our life, it produces life within us. Sometimes we talk about this as the fruit of the Spirit. But at the very same time as God is producing new things within my life, what is also being exposed are the dead aspects of my sin that need to be dealt with and done away with. And so you can think about it in these two ways. As we follow Jesus, God is both forming us and he is freeing us. And that's what Paul's talking about right here. And that's what you get over and over again within the scriptures. You get this in the teachings of Jesus. If you know the passage in John 15 where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. And so he's saying, hey, I, I am the vine. If you are the branches, if you abide in me, if you live your life with me, he says, you will bear much fruit. So there's this bringing to life that God does in us of his character traits coming out of us, of, of us being matured and growing in the faith, of our understanding being expanded. We are being brought to life. We are living life to the fullest in the truest way it's supposed to be. But at the same time, that same passage, Jesus talks about a pruning that God does in our life. That there's this cutting away that needs to happen in my life. That things are going to be exposed when they're brought into the light of God's goodness and glory. And they need to be dealt with. And I think that's what Paul is addressing right here. When he says to live your life as a living sacrifice. There are things within my heart that need to be brought to the altar and killed so that I can actually experience the life Jesus has promised me. And so Paul goes a step forward in explaining this. He says, live your life. It's a living sacrifice. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so I, I find it interesting, you know, as if we are trying to uh, conceptualize or understand what it means to be a, a living sacrifice. I think that second verse, you know, has some, some clues for us. One of the aspects is that, you know, Paul attaches transformation 
to our understanding of God. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, there should be a mindset you have, there should be an understanding that the longer you follow Jesus, the more change should occur in our life. For each of us, if we are holding that we are a disciple, that we are honoring God as God, year after year, there should be differences that begin to occur within us. Like the end goal of the gospel is our union with Christ, and that is marked by a transformation that should be happening in our hearts and in our lives. And so there there does need to be this change that occurs in us over time. And so what Paul says, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Uh, All throughout the scriptures, the the term the world is kind of used in two different ways. In in one way, it talks about, you know, if you think about John 3.16, it talks about the people that inhabit this earth God created, and God loves the world. God loves his people that he made that are in his image. He loves his creation. But the other way it is utilized is in contrast to the things of God, that there are two modes of living within this reality. One is to honor God as God, to follow him, and to pursue his things, and to put him first in all things. But then there's this other thing that we could be pursuing, and that's how the world is conveyed in this context, is that it is the antithesis of following God. It is following a a different spirit, a different set of values, a different reality. And so for all of us, you know, going back to what Paul says in Romans 1 and works his way through, our default position is not to be pursuing the things of God. It is to be being conformed to a different set of values, a different reality. And so Paul is saying, you know, if we're going to offer our lives as living sacrifices, we need to recognize that there is something we need to be turning from and God we need to be turning to. We don't need to be conformed to this world. And I like how the, um, we've been reading from the ESV this morning, the NIV translate the phrase, it says conform to the pattern of this world. And I like that because it just kind of conveys this like normative human experience that there are these things we're going to fall into over and over and over again. And Paul is saying something needs to change in our life so we don't do the normal thing that us broken human beings tend to fall into. We need to be set free from that. And so I was trying to just think about, you know, what, what is probably the most normal thing for us as human beings to pursue? Like, what is the focus and trajectory of our life just left to our our own base instincts? What's going to be that pattern I fall into over and over again? And I would say at its, you know, very basic level, uh, the reality is what we will probably pursue more than anything else is just our own human desire. That's probably kind of the default position of all of us, that we have wants, we have desires, we have needs, and that's going to be elevated as the supreme good in my own heart and mind, and that's what I'm going to go after. And desire is not bad. It's, you know, God-given. God has given us desires, but there is this reality that even good things, if they're elevated to the position of God in our life, can be destructive and can be enslaving. If you think back, once again, to the wisdom literature, uh, Solomon, King David's son, who uh, ruled over Israel and was granted all the wisdom that God had bestowed on a person, if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, it's this incredible just narrative of a guy who was smarter than anybody else. 
And not only that, he had all of the human resources and means to pursue any of the things he wanted. And the book of Ecclesiastes is him doing that. You know, he, it is him trying to figure out what in this life, in this reality, in this existence could make me happy. And so I like how he describes his mindset. In Ecclesiastes 2.10, he says this. He says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep it from them. And I feel like at this base level, all of us want the ability to try that out. You know, you know if I want it, I want to go for it. You know, we, that is our default position. That is the pattern of this world, that we elevate whatever is my own desire. That is the supreme good, and that is what I'm going to pursue. The Apostle Paul warns the church in Philippi about people like that. And this is what he says in Philippians 3.19. He says, their God is their belly. You know, it's just people that are ruled by appetite and desire. And so what Paul is saying to the people of God, so if we have met Jesus Christ, if we have experienced the mercies of God, he's saying there's something else that God calls us to. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that's the call of Jesus. What did Jesus say to his disciples? If any of you wishes to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. We're supposed to live our lives as a living sacrifice of God bringing out life in us through us bringing other aspects of our misplaced desires and putting them to death. And so I would say even the idea of sacrifice within the scriptures, which we probably have a, a negative view of, that, you know, I've just had to do a lot of sacrifices to get to where I want to be. Biblically speaking, when uh, it is done in the way that God calls his people to, I would say that sacrifice is an enormous gain through a perceived loss. We might view something that we are giving up, that we are losing, that something did die, something that we valued. But what God promises when that's brought to the feet of Jesus is that we would experience the true life that he actually offers to his people. Sacrifice is enormous gain through a perceived loss. So that's Paul's instruction. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You know, if you can uh, remember back to the first chapter of Romans, as Paul is kind of outlining the problems humanity faces, one of the first things he diagnoses in chapter 1, verse 21, is that when people do not honor God as God, it says their minds are darkened. And so uh, a reality of the world around us and what we experience on a personal level is all of uh, the darkness that emanates from me, and it does, is rooted in a misunderstanding of God. And so I know that even now, as a follower of Jesus and a pastor in this church, there are, are thoughts that I have about God that are not accurate, there are thoughts I have about myself that are not accurate, that have been uh, marred and twisted by my own sinfulness and the, the sinfulness of the world around me. So I need this renewal to take place in my mind, in my heart, 
so that I can actually live for Jesus the way I desire to in the way God's word calls me to. And so we need this renewal of our mind that recognizing that our faulty thinking needs to change and that's the root of a lot of the, uh, the struggles I have. And that's what he says. He says, um, as you renew your, your mind, you'll be able to test and approve of what God's will is. And, uh, you know, it might be simple and kind of a Sunday school answer, but if you're asking yourself, like, okay, how can I do that? How can I actually go through the process of having my mind renewed? The most valuable resource God has given us is his word. You know, every single day we are bombarded by messages. Some are good. More often than not, they're probably faulty, that they're not accurate of the world God has made, of his place in it, of my position in the created order and how God has called me to live, that our, our mind is being affected and impacted by the things that it is absorbing every moment of every day. You know, if you break it down, almost every type of messaging that we encounter is a type of theological message. It is saying something about our reality. It is saying something about me or saying something about God. Like, we are bombarded with theological messages. We don't always recognize it as so, but we are being impacted and affected every day. And so if, if your own personal desire— if you're sitting in here this morning and saying like, you know, I, I want to follow Jesus, I want to uh, promote the things of God in my life, then we need to uh, take seriously what Paul has commanded here, that we need a renewal of our minds. And if we're just going to work every day, punching the clock, doing the normal things, then we're going to be um, inundated with a, a bunch of lies and faulty statements that we need to combat by spending adequate time in the Word of God. I love the passage where, where Jesus talks about his role as a shepherd in our, in our lives, that that's the imagery, that, uh, that idea. And he, and he says, you know, my sheep hear my voice and they know it. And so think, think about any uh, of the voices in your life that you can just recognize in an instant. Always think back uh, to my days playing high school football. Um, and, you know, if you're playing a football game, you got a helmet on, you can't hear much, and then you got a high school band out there, and then people yelling and cheering, and, you know, people in the stands, there's lots of crowds. And I, I can just remember those moments where I'd be on the sideline, and maybe I was discouraged or something, and I could always hear my dad's voice. And my dad is a loud person, I'll, I'll grant you that, but uh, there was this, these moments within, uh, you know, those teenage years where um, if there was, like, I needed some encouragement, I needed, you know, things were not going well, which they often did not go well in high school football, uh, my dad would just talk. And I, I could hear him, you know, there would be all the other noise, the band, the people, all the different things going on, the coaches yelling at you, and I could just all him like, hey, keep your head up, Jared. And, and I recognized that I could always pick out my dad's voice from all the others because I had spent my entire life listening to it. So I was able to discern what was noise and what was my father offering me encouragement. And it was a long exposure over time. And so if you feel a struggle within your soul to discern what is of God and what is of the world, one of the best tools you have is a whole lot of time, day after day, month after month, year after year, sitting in the word of God so that when you are out in the world and you hear a variety of voices, you will know what is your heavenly father and what is not of him. 
you will recognize his voice because you can be exposed to it over and over and over again. That's why even us as, as parents, we, we speak to our kids in the womb because we want them to know our voice when they get out into the world. We need to uh, have the same posture when it comes to the voice of God. He has offered us his word. It's an incredible resource, and that's uh, probably the primary way God has given us for the renewal of our minds. There are, there are other ways. There is being within the church setting. There is um, uh, conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ, but the primary way, the way we need to um, make sure is present in our life is time in his word. And I love that Paul says, he says, present your body as living Sacrifices holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship, in its essence, is whatever we value as the highest good. You know, a lot of times we uh, attach music to worship, and I, I think that is accurate and truthful because when we are singing these songs, we are proclaiming what we believe is good. It is just this outward expression of what we are internally valuing. And so if we want to live our lives as a, as a living sacrifice and let that be our spiritual worship to God, we need to put to death desire as our God. And when we do that, it is an act of worship. How do we know Jesus is our highest good? It's when we lay aside other things that might compete with that idea. And it's in this process of, of, of offering ourselves to God, of trying to grow our understanding of him both forming us and freeing us. And we do this over time as we pursue him and we dig into his word and hopefully he renews our mind. It's what equips us to live in this world God has placed us in. Because, you know, as, as you can see right there, it says when, when you do these things, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And he says, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. I've had a lot of conversations in my years as a pastor with people who want to know what the will of God is for their life. It's a question we ask a lot as, as faithful followers of Jesus, and as you face, you know, difficult life decisions on, you know, am I supposed to take this job or that job? Am I supposed to move? Am I supposed to stay? Am I supposed to marry this person or, or pass? You know, we face these questions a lot, and faithful followers of Jesus typically ask that question, what is the will of God? And I like that Paul just drops in that word, he says, by, by testing, and to me, it just kind of conveys that, you know, God and our relationship with him, you know, it's not just like the magic eight ball of, you know, what should I do, God, in this situation and kind of shake the Bible and hope, you know, a yes or a no or a maybe doesn't pop out. But it does convey this idea of like we have to continue to pursue him in relationship so that we do learn his voice and we'll, we'll be able to understand in that relationship through my own personal walk, my own personal devotion, my, my time in the word, my, my time in prayer, my time uh, discussing things with my church family, I'll be able to understand and check and see if this is how God is leading and prompting my life. And he uses this word discernment. We want to grow in our spiritual discernment. I love how um, uh, Charles Spurgeon put it. He, he, he said that discernment is not distinguishing between what is right and wrong. It's distinguishing between what is right and what is almost right. And that how, is how it is so often in our lives. 
with the nuance of all of our different situations that as we pursue Jesus, it's not going to be as simple as just like a grid of situations of what's yes, what's no. It is a daily following of Jesus, of putting to death our own personal desires so that we can gain life through our relationship with God. And so that's kind of the the setup for all of the things Paul is going to say about what actually comes out of our life when we do these things. And so he moves on. And if you would look with me in verses three through eight, he says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So the first direction Paul goes in this process of living our lives as a living sacrifice of being transformed and renewed by God so that we can understand his will for our lives as we follow Jesus, the first direction he goes is for us to grow in our own self-awareness. That's what he says right there in verse 3. He says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has designed. And so I would just say, if I can give you a definition of what I'm talking about, to grow in our own self-awareness is a conscious knowledge of one's own character, feelings, motives, and desires. And this has always been an aspect of the church's historical teachings on discipleship, this process of following Jesus and being transformed over time. Many others have picked on this throughout time and and recognized that uh, us growing in this aspect of knowing ourselves is going to have a huge impact on our followership of Jesus Christ. Uh, John Calvin, when he was in Geneva and part of the Protestant Reformation, he wrote his, um, his theological works called Calvin's Institutes that have been a, a big part of the Christian understanding throughout the centuries. And the first book of Calvin's Institutes in chapter one begins like this. He says, nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Uh, St. Augustine, who is the Bishop of Hippo and wrote many different works that the church has clung to through the years in his explanation and understanding of the scriptures, in his personal testimony, uh, his book that's called Confessions, he said this. He says, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Grant us, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Now, I do think it is important in this moment that when I am speaking of self-awareness or knowing yourself, we're probably going to utilize those words in a different way than is current to our culture and our time and how the world would talk about knowing yourself. 
I like how there's a, a great little discipleship book called uh, The Gospel-Centered Life that talks about uh, Christian maturity always goes in two directions. One is knowledge of God. And as our knowledge of God increases, the other aspect of that is the awareness of our own sin. So right now, one of the messages you are being taught and receiving probably on a daily basis is that you do need to look inward to understand yourself and through that process that is how you will establish your values and that is what how you will establish your highest good and so we talk about you know just being true to yourself or live your truth some of that uh, normal verbiage that's getting promoted to us right now and that's not the christian notion so when St. Augustine and John Calvin are talking about knowing yourself and what Paul is talking about right here, to think of yourself with sober judgment, what happens as we begin to understand more and more of the things of God, when I look inward and know myself, what God is doing is revealing all of the things that need to be sacrificed. So I'm not looking inwardly to uh, establish my value system or to come out with something that is my highest good. I'm looking inwardly and in understanding more of my, my defaults and my bents because that's how God is going to reveal to me the work he needs to do and what needs to be removed from my life. Like each of us should evaluate, evaluate our lives, think of our lives with, with sober judgment, that we do want to grow in our knowledge of God in the awareness of our sin. And because if we're doing both of those things simultaneously, if I'm trying to figure out what makes me tick and what are the different aspects of who I am as a person, it's going to be in sharp contrast to the beauty, the character, the majesty of Jesus Christ. That I'm not looking inwardly to decide what is good. I know what is good. I fix my eyes on Christ. I'm looking inwardly and being honest and having tough conversations with myself so that God will reveal to me the things I need to bring to the altar and kill. And so when we want to grow in our self-awareness, we do want to have a conscious knowledge of our own character, our feelings, our motives and desires so that they can be sifted through the word of God as it says that the word of God is profitable for teaching reproof, correction, so that we would be equipped and that it is sharper than a double-edged sword and able to uh, discern the intentions of the heart. That's what we're talking about in growing in self-awareness, not to establish our good, but that God would reveal the areas of my life that need to be sacrificed for him. We want to grow in our knowledge of God and the awareness of our sin. And I believe that's what Paul is talking about, to grow in self-awareness, to evaluate our lives with sober judgment, that we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves, that we should contrast where we currently are with the majesty that is revealed about our God through the pages of Scripture. And then I love what Paul does. Because we, we typically would think about that act or growing in our own self-awareness or learning more about ourselves. We, we typically think of it as an individual pursuit, but that's not how the Bible portrays it. So Paul immediately brings that idea within the church community. That's what he says. and says, For as in one body we have mem many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Paul takes this idea of growing in our self-awareness and immediately attaches it to our relationship with other people. And that is what I would encourage. 
And once again, it's not really something uh, that is being promoted as a cultural message at the moment. It is us looking inward and determining all of the things we think should be true and then us projecting outwardly that everybody else needs to affirm that for us. And that's not how identity structure works within the scriptures. That first and foremost, we, we look upward to God and let him be the definer and author of this universe he put in motion. And then God has brought us into community, both biological families and communities of faith so that we can learn from each other, grow with each other, be exposed to each other's ideas, faults, failures, and strengths, and then that helps solidify our ideas of identity within our own hearts and minds. It is not an individual pursuit. It is a collective pursuit. Individually, members of one another, we are all individuals in the eyes of God, but we are inextricably linked to each other by our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I would say just one of the beautiful aspects of a life spent following Jesus is discovering all the different ways God made us. Now, there are some, some bumps along the way of recognizing our, our brokenness and our, our frailty and our propensity to sin, but there's also beautiful things that come out of diving into our hearts that have been renewed uh, by a loving Savior and Creator and uh, figuring out the different ways we've been wired and gifted and the, the, the imprint of God on our lives that he didn't make us all the same, that we don't all process the world in the same way. We don't all have the same strengths and giftings. There's something incredible about the fact that God calls us to be in community together, to be all part of the same family and the analogy it gives so often within the scriptures that it is like a human body that there are different parts and those parts have a different role to play and it's important for us to uh, walk into that into that process of uh, self-discovery of of knowing ourselves so that we can experience the freedom of what God has actually called us to within his chosen people and that's what Paul is talking about he says one body many members we don't all have the same function. So this is what he says in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You know, it is kind of a interesting cultural moment. I don't think it's all negative. In fact, I've appreciated a lot of it, is that I feel like the past several years, there's been kind of a re-emphasis on a personality test. Uh, how many of y'all have taken one within the past five years? Okay, yeah. I think it's my age and younger a lot of times, but um, yeah, so there's been this renewed interest on like the Enneagram, or you know, you might be a Myers-Briggs person, or displacement, you know, workplaces utilize them, and, and there's a lot of great things that come out of those, because there is this reality uh, that all of us kind of behave a little bit differently. And so um, this past uh, May, me and Emily, we went and did a, a, a pastor's retreat, and one of the things that the retreat used was Myers-Briggs, which I have done before, uh, but they um, were kind of specialized in that specific personality test that does kind of unpack these different scenarios like, hey, because of uh, this default that you have, when you get in this situation, this is probably how you respond, and it's spot on, but that makes me mad because like, you don't know me test. Um, <laughs> But there is something that is very uh, cathartic in helping you understand yourself. 
And so there is something just like insightful when, when one of those tests, and they're not, you know, 100% accurate, and I would not say they're determinative, so don't, you know, build your whole life upon it, but it can be this tool we utilize in understanding like, okay, God did wire me a certain way. And so, you know, I, I, I do like, I thrive kind of when I'm facing these challenges that have uh, these kind of parameters around them. And I, I do like some, some freedom, some flexibility, a little bit of structure. That's where I, I, I do my best work. Or uh, someone might have a different personality type. And you're like, you know, this type of situation that you thrive in just stresses me out to no end. And I'm not going to sleep for a week if that's the situation I'm put in. You know, there is this uh, cool reality of when we learn something about ourselves and something clicks, and is this reality of God revealing to us, like, hey, look, I made you with purpose, design, and intent, and I have a plan for your life that I want you to experience. There's freedom in understanding ourselves. One of the biggest things that robs from us within the church setting and life in general, and we all know this, is the reality that we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. I mean, we all know that expression that comparison is the thief of joy. And so what Paul is saying is evaluate your lives. Learn about the way God has made you. It's going to reveal some darkness in you that needs to be sacrificed at the altar of Christ, but it's also going to reveal the good things God has put in you that you are supposed to live out for his glory and for the good of people around you. Our identity is always going to be lived out in relationships with other people. It is not something that has been placed in us for our own good, but for the glory of God and for the good of his people, the church. And so that's why anytime it talks about giftings within the scriptures, it is something that is to be utilized for the blessing of others. And all of our lives are supposed to be marked by that, that as we pursue Jesus Our sinfulness is going to be revealed, but also the incredible giftings God has given us so that we can live out our true selves in relationships with others and be a blessing to those around us. That's part of the the forming God does in us, and also it should be part of the freeing that we should lay down expectations that we need to be like other people we see and live out the reality of what God has made us to be. And I love those moments of clarity. And I love when, as a church, we can affirm that for one another. That as, as God gives us specific opportunities here at Park Springs to serve our community, to serve one another, to uh, be active uh, with the people around us, we should all be on the lookout to be an encouragement and to be an affirmation for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because so often that is how God is going to reveal those incredible giftings he's given each of us. It's going to be in that moment where we uh, are either blessed by someone or we see someone being a blessing and we get to step into that moment and be like, hey, you're really good at this. When you organize that thing and nobody else sees it, there was like a hundred other people that received a blessing because uh, you can keep details straight and Pastor Jared and Pastor Charlie just can't. You know, and so that's how we need to live out this reality of our identity formation within community is to be an encouragement and affirmation to one another. And that's going to be part of that process of, of, of discipleship, of following God, of recognizing the salvation that has been offered to us in Jesus, and then uh, experiencing the rest of our life in line with that truth. I love those moments of clarity. We should encourage it in one another as we collectively pursue Jesus. 
And so I will end with this. I appeal to you, therefore, Park Springs Bible Church, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for your word and for the reality of true freedom found in Jesus. God, because sometimes my idea of freedom is just pursuing anything I want. And I know that at the end of that road is, is slavery. God, but when I lay everything else aside and choose you, God, I experience what life is, is really about. I experience the relationship I was created for, that my, the entirety of my being was designed to be in communion with you. God, and so thank you for the, uh, just the glimpses, the tastes of that I get. God, that just draw me farther in. God, I pray all of us would, would grow in our, our knowledge of self, God, that we would understand the things we're drawn to and pulled to that are going to be destructive in our lives, God. And we'd also understand just, um, just the incredible ways you made us, God, the different gifts, the different experiences, the different talents, the different likes we have, God, that... Um, are supposed to be lived out as a, as a blessing for others, God, and, and the joy that comes with living out our purpose. God, I ask for your help um, for our church, God, that we would do that well together, that we would pursue a deeper understanding of who you are through your word, God, and we would live it out practically in the relationships you've given us. God, we ask that Jesus be glorified, God, we ask that you continue to draw our church collectively, individually, members of one another to yourself. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus.